So in high school, I had a pretty tight-knit group of friends. We would do everything together. We'd make movies on iMovie that were really bad and on YouTube until like two weeks ago, and I took them off because I didn't want this to happen. We would play sports together. We'd play video games together. We also would eat a lot of food together. That's really what we did most of the time, to be honest, was eating. It actually gave our friend group our name. Yeah, my friend group had a name. We had like a title. I learned in college that that's weird that most friend groups don't like title themselves like we're a sports team, but we did. We were called the Chunky Boys. Chunky Boys is spelled with a Z, in case you're wondering. B-O-Y-Z. Thank you very much. If you do an S, that is ridiculous. If you say Chubby Boys, that is ridiculous. If you say Fat Boys, that's rude. Okay, don't do that. We are the Chunky Boys. And I'm not just saying, like, we called ourselves that. Everyone in our school knew that. And we had a pretty big school. I graduated with, like, 400 people, and everyone in my class knew that and would call us that. We even made jerseys for post-prom dodgeball that said Chunky Boys Certified Delicious on them. I still have the jersey, so I'll wear that to preach someday. No, I won't because it's like a bro tank, and that would be highly uncomfortable for all of us. <laughs> it was a little more snug back then, but that's, that's besides the point. Looking back, I realize now why I didn't have any girlfriends in high school. Like, it just it dawned on me as I was writing this that that's just highly uncomfortable. So anyways, the Chunky Boys, like I said, we do a lot of things together. One thing we do every single summer is we would go to Lost Island Water Park here in Waterloo. Woo, yeah. Well, someone fell there. So excited. <laughs> So we've been doing this for a while, and by the time my senior year came around, we thought, we run this water park. We got this. We also thought, you know, we're seniors in high school. Like, I'm bad to the bone, baby. I graduated high school. I can do whatever I want. Have you seen these arms? One of us in our group, that was a joke, it's a joke. <laughs> One of the guys in our group was going on to play football at Iowa State. The rest of us, we could eat a lot of food. So like together, combined, we thought we're awesome. We can do whatever the heck we want. Because as seniors in high schools tend to do, we think we are large and in charge. Amen. Anyways, at Lost Island, they have this family slide, which can seat like six people in a tube, and it takes you down a slide. It's really fun. And so my friends and I, again, we were a little husky, so we would fly down that thing. It was, we went so fast. As we're riding, we think we are on top of the world. We can do what we want. So there's one scrawny kid who was one of our friends, and we decided, this would be hilarious. Let's throw him out of the tube. So we pick him up, and we chuck him out the back of the slide. So we continue down, laughing it up, thinking we're hilarious. The scrawny kid's like, no, and he's falling his way down. We get to the bottom of the pool. We're like, oh, let's see what these lifeguards are like as we go into the tube and the kid slides down on his body. And the, the lifeguards are girls that look like they're around our age. We're like, we're good. We got this. We don't have anything to worry about. So my friend that went on to play football at Iowa State, he's like, don't worry, I'll take care of it. So he starts, he's like, what's up, sweetie? We good, right? No big deal? How can I get your digits? And they were not happy with us. They're like, you can't throw your skinny friend outside of the tube. So they got mad, and they did something that really angers me still to this day. They put us in timeout. <laughs> what that means is, so if you've ever been to a water park, at the end there's usually like a little pool that you get in. They made us sit in the corners of this, the exit pool and just sit there and think about what we've done. And when we talked, they'd yell at us and just get mad at us. And we were like, what? we're the chunky boys. We can do what we want. How dare you put me in timeout? I'm a grown man. But you know, we realized something. We weren't in charge. They were. So we'd say, we're going to leave. We're going to go another slide. They said, okay, then we'll kick you out of the water park and you can never come back. So we're like, all right, we'll sit back down. My bad. So we wasted our day at the water park sitting in timeout. That wasn't a very good day. And water parks are expensive too, in case you're wondering. So don't get put in timeout. See, I think many of us kind of relate to the chunky boys sometimes where we feel like we're in charge. 
We feel like that we should have complete control over our lives, our actions, our futures, that we get to do what we want. See, our American culture tells us that we get to create our own path. We do whatever makes us happy, that we are the kings and queens of our own lives, that we are on the throne of our lives. I'm going to say that a few times tonight. What I mean by that is like a king or queen sits on a throne, right, because they're in charge, they're in control. So the throne of your life, what's ever on the throne of your life is what's in control, what's in charge. So as we think that we're on the throne of our lives, we can sometimes make decisions that aren't necessarily wise. We'll hurt ourselves. We'll hurt other people. We put ourselves in rough places. We screw up. We get into bad habits. We get into addictions. We put our lives on paths that when we look back, we're like, why did I get here? See, as we rule our own lives, we can tend to get ourselves put in timeout sometimes. Tonight we're finishing our series, Hope is on the Horizon. We've looked at how our hope is not in what we do, but in whose we are as a son or daughter of Jesus. We've learned how we can have hope for freedom and change through Jesus. And finally, last week, we talked about our hope for life in Jesus is through abiding. Abiding is just spending time with Jesus, having what we call in Kyle for World real devotion. We've been investigating our culture and how we're all seeking hope, right? We want refuge from COVID, from mental illness, from loneliness, from addiction, and we've discovered that our only hope can be found in King Jesus. That hope is on the horizon for many of us. That we just need to run to the light that we see in the distance and find God. Tonight we're going to look at a story of a man who came to Jesus. This man, when he came to Jesus, he had, had it all. He's got money. He makes good choices. He's a ruler. He's got power. He's young. I would venture to guess that he was a handsome guy. He doesn't say that in the Bible, but I just like to picture him as handsome. It's like the guy on the soundboard, Sam Childress. I kind of picture him when I'm thinking because he's such a handsome guy. Sorry, Lucy. That's his wife. I probably shouldn't have said that from, the, from up here. My bad, Lucy. Don't beat me up later. Anyways, this guy's got it all. So this man comes to Jesus and he says, all right, what's next? What else can I do? And if you turn to Mark chapter 10, if you have a Bible, we'll get our answer. We'll start in verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. I've got two solutions for you. Number one, after service, you can get a free Bible that we would love to give to you. Number two, it's right there. So that worked out quite well. Thank you, Carly. Let's give Carly Larson a round of applause for running the slides today. She's absolutely incredible. We are 95% of the time we have the same shoes on, so it's pretty fun. Carly is amazing. Let's go back to Mark 10, 17, though. And it says this, and as he was sit, setting out on his journey, this is Jesus we're talking about, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful for he had many great possessions. Possessions. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. God, I thank you for the students in this room. I thank you for what's going to happen at Fall Retreat. And I thank you for what's going to happen tonight, God. Love you so much. Amen. Amen. Our main idea tonight is this. Our hope is in giving Jesus his rightful place on the throne of our lives. A little bit longer than usual. Our hope is in giving Jesus his rightful place on the throne of our lives. So this man in this story is called the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus having lived a moral life. He had found the success of the world through wealth, and he also had followed religious code to a T. And see, through the context of this story, it's evident that this guy's not coming to Jesus like like proud. He's not saying, Jesus, I'm awesome. I figured it all out. No, if you look at the story, it shows that Jesus has affection for him. He says he loved him. So 
Jesus wouldn't really show affection towards someone if they're being a prideful bungalow, right? So this person's coming to him kind of with a youthful joy, like, Dad, look what I did. I did the right things. And Jesus looked at him and loved him because they loved his, uh, the humility. However, though, Jesus is also smart. Jesus knew what was best for this man because he's all-knowing. So Jesus loved this man enough to know that this man was holding something back from God. And so Jesus prompts the man, he says, sell all that you have and give the money to the poor and come follow me. Because Jesus knew that was best for the man. Before we go any further, I want to say something though, that this story is not Jesus saying that having money is sinful. There's plenty of wealthy people throughout scripture that follow Jesus and he doesn't condemn them for having money. So it's not bad that you have money. The problem is Jesus knows two things about this man. First of all, because of this man's wealth, he can rely on himself and not God. Money can do this to people, right? It can give us a false security. When we can pay all our bills, we never have to stress about anything. When we have enough money, it can kind of make us, okay, I can take care of this because I can pay everything. So wealth does come with dangers, and it can lead to self-sufficiency and thinking you just need to rely on yourself because you can solve your own problems. But again, money in itself is not the issue here. It's this man relying on himself and not God. But I think even more importantly, the issue here is the second observation of Jesus, which is Jesus knows that he's not this man's God, but that this man's money is. Because when prompted to give up his money to follow Jesus, this man declines because this man values his wealth over his God. So if he has choose between following Jesus and having his money, he chooses his money. So the main point of this story is that we must serve Jesus above everything else. That we can't have two masters. We can't have two kings. We don't get two thrones. Two people don't fit on our throne. There's one throne, one seat at the top of your life. One person or one thing is in control. We have to recognize that God must be in control, that God is our king. Sometimes we think that we're God, that we get to determine what's right or wrong, that we get to make all of our own choices, that we're smarter than God, that we get to be on the throne of our lives. But Jesus is telling us here that we don't get to be on the throne. It's either us or him. If we want to follow Jesus, we must let him be king. And what he says goes. So if we read something in the Bible that makes us uncomfortable or is different than what we want, it's God who's in control. God is in control, God through his, the person of Jesus and through the word of God. So if God tells us something, whether it's through prayer or through the Bible, we must listen and obey because God is king. We are not. We have to submit to Jesus because he's God. The other trap, besides putting ourselves on the throne of our lives, is putting something else on the throne of our lives. Sometimes we put success, relationships, school, entertainment. We put these things on our throne besides Jesus. See, we don't serve a God who wants to be second place. Jesus is a good, loving king. He loves you tremendously. But he's a king who's earned the right to be first place in your life. A very logical question could be, well, why? Why should I let Jesus be my king? Why should Jesus get first place in my life? See, God has a right to our lives, not because of what he does, actually, but it's because of who he is. There's a story told in Alex Rodriguez's book, Real Devotion, that illustrates this. There's a college student who's running late to class. He leaves his apartment, and he's on his way, and as on his way to class, there's this field that's for sale. And as he's running through this open field that's for sale, he trips over this pointy thing, and he falls. So he gets up, he looks around to make sure no one saw him trip, because that's embarrassing, right? I've tripped a lot, so I know it's embarrassing. Anyways, he goes back to this pointy thing, and he starts digging around to figure out what it is. And he realizes that this pointy thing is a box. As he gets to this box, he tries to kick it. 
because he's mad. And that's what we do, right? When we're mad at things, we kick it. It's the only thing I think that has stayed with us since childhood is that we just kick things, it'll get better. Anyways, he goes to kick this. It hurts a little bit because the box is full. So he tries to open the box, and as he goes in, he realizes there's more to the box than meets the eye. As he digs in, he finds something inside, this rock-sized figure. He pulls one of these rock figures out. He wipes the dirt off, and he realizes that this is a diamond. A diamond that is the size of a stone. So he looks around, makes sure no one's watching again, and he sprints to his car, and he goes to the nearest jeweler to find out how much it's worth. He goes to the jewelry store, he greets the clerk, he throws the diamond on the table and says, jeweler, how much is this worth? The jeweler looks a little shocked. He looks at it and says, this diamond is worth $1,500. That's not even in a ring, it's just a diamond. The college student then is excited, obviously, right? $1,500 is amazing. He exchanges this diamond for the money. But then he also thinks, if that one diamond is worth, that, is worth how much, that much, how much is that box worth? So he immediately goes back to this open field to find out. When he gets to the field, he makes sure that no one else is looking. He gets in the box, and he pulls out the biggest rock he can find. He buries the box so no one can find it. He goes back to the jeweler to discover, what is this rock worth? And as soon as he walks in, the jeweler's jaw drops. The jeweler grabs it, and he's shaking. He doesn't stop looking at it. And the college student asks him, how much is that worth? And he says, I have absolutely no clue. This is the largest ruby I've ever seen. This is worth more than any of us could ever imagine. Where did you get it, he asks the college student. The college student plays it cool. He's like, I just found it. He grabs it, and he runs. He thinks about this box and how many rocks are in there. So he grabs his ruby, and he doesn't go back to the field, but instead he goes to his apartment. He goes to his apartment, he grabs his Xbox, he grabs his 70-inch TV, he grabs all his clothes, all his furniture, he starts taking pictures of it, he puts it on Facebook Marketplace to sell it. Then his roommate is freaking out, like, what are you doing? Why are you selling everything that you have? The roommate would seem logical, right? It'd be crazy to sell everything you have. But the thing is, this college student knows, and he says, I'm going to sell everything I have so that I can afford to go buy that open field. His roommate, of course, thinks he's crazy, but what the roommate does not realize is that what is in that field is more valuable than any treasure in the world, that selling everything that the college student has to buy that open field is the most rational thing the student could do. The student had found something of infinite value, right? Those box of diamonds and rubies is worth way more than his Xbox, which made everything that he owned absolutely worthless in comparison to that box, so he needed to buy that open field. So he sold the little treasure that he had to get something that he could never lose. So why should we let God be our king? Why should we let him rule our lives and be first place? Because he's more valuable than anything we have. Jesus is the treasure in the field. Jesus has intrinsic value, which means he's valuable all by himself. He doesn't have borrowed worth. He's not valuable because of other things. He's valuable because of who he is. When we come across something with intrinsic value that's valuable just because of who it is, we must choose it above everything else. When we come across something that is rare, it has value, right? That's why my Honda Civic is nowhere near as valuable as a Lamborghini Reventon because Hondas are made every five seconds, while this particular type of Lamborghini only has 13 in the entire planet. It's more rare, it's more valuable. When we come across something of beauty, it is value, right? So rarity and beauty. This is why Taylor and I's 
trip this past summer to Costa Rica was much more expensive than our trip this summer before to Stockton, Missouri. Costa Rica is in the middle of a rainforest. We got to stay in a treehouse. Stockton, Missouri, we stayed in the middle of a cornfield. Costa Rica is a little bit more beautiful and is a lot more expensive because beauty leads to value. So if something's rare, it's valuable. If something's beautiful, it's valuable. And then when we come across something of purity, it also has value. That's why my fake Burks were $30, and Taylor's real Burks, which are sandals, drained her bank account when she bought them as a senior in high school because the purity of the real Burks is more valuable than my fake American Eagle Burks, even though I like my Burks. Finally, when we come across something of power, so rarity, beauty, purity, and power, when we come across something of power, it has value. That's why you can buy the least powerful MacBook Air for about $1,000, while the most powerful souped-up MacBook Pro is going to run you $3,000. Rarity, beauty, purity, and power. Those four things show value. See, the Lord Jesus does not do these things. Jesus doesn't have to go to a separate source to be these things. Jesus simply is these things. Jesus is the treasure in the field because he has value. Jesus is rare. E. Stanley Jones says this, that every other religion suggests how evil came into the world. Christianity is the only religion where God says he came to take evil out. In other religions, their Messiah, their God, their leader, when he dies, he stays that way. When our God died, he came back and defeated death because our God is rare. Jesus is beautiful. Jesus did not let social outcasts go in love. Jesus didn't think about people based on their worth, but Jesus loved people right where they're at. Jesus is beautiful because he's loving, he's caring, he's a friend of sinners, and he loves people when they spit in his face. That's true beauty. Jesus is pure. Jesus remains sinless in a world full of sin. Jesus faced every temptation that we all face every day, and he said no to every single one of them. Jesus is pure in a world of impurity. Jesus faced the temptations that plague us every single day and said no. Finally, Jesus is powerful. Jesus came and healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He made the mute speak, and he raised the dead. Nothing is impossible with Jesus because he's full of power. See, everything else in this world has to go somewhere else to be rare, to be beautiful, to be pure and powerful. People have to go against established establish paths to be rare. People have to try really hard to be original, right? That's why we have these things called hipsters. They try really hard to be cool. They try really hard to be different. People can be beautiful, right? But beauty fades with age. As we get older, we get uglier. It's inevitable. So those of you that are attractive in here, I'm sorry, it won't last forever. Beauty fades with all the rest of us. Purity hinges on us obeying laws that are impossible to obey, right? None of us are ever perfect. None of us can be fully pure because we are sinful and messed up. Jesus was perfect. Power in this world depends on having money and having status that can be taken in a second just like that based on the economy, right? I think we learned that our world can change In one second, this thing called COVID-19 taught us that, right? That the power we think we have, we have control, can be gone just like that when a little disease comes. Everything else in this world has to go somewhere else to become valuable, but Jesus in himself is full of value. And Jesus' value obligates the obedience of our lives. His value obligates us to put him above everything else. His value obligates us to clear our thrones so we can give him room to sit where he belongs. Maybe we put success on the throne of our lives. Like you'll follow Jesus as long as he doesn't get in the way of your schooling. As long as Jesus doesn't get in the way of your grades or your resume, your sport or your music. You'll spend time with Jesus and abide like we talked about last week only after your homework is done because your homework is more valuable. 
You only spend time with Jesus after you've practiced your instrument for five hours because you don't want to get yelled at in a lesson. You only spend time with Jesus after you've worked out for the day so you can succeed in your sport. If you have to choose between church, Kai Alpha, small group, and that extra hour of studying, we will pick studying because school is our God. Possibly our God is our entertainment. You'll follow Jesus as long as it doesn't hinder our Netflix time, our video game time, or our TikTok time. When God tells us not to watch certain shows because they're inappropriate or to spend less time playing PlayStation or watching so, or on social media, we do not obey. We say, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as you don't try to get in the way of my entertainment. Jesus, I'll go to church as long as it doesn't hinder me from watching the NFL. If I choose between watching the Hawkeyes play on Saturday or doing something for God, I'm going to choose the Hawkeyes, which proves to me that God is not your king, but the Hawkeyes are. Or Jesus, I'll follow you as long as I get to sleep. Sunday morning church is too early. Have to sleep in past 11. So if I have to choose between you and sleeping in, I'm out, Jesus. Maybe the big one. Jesus, you can be my king as long as you don't come before my relationship. See, I think for many of us, our God is our boyfriend or our girlfriend or our pursuit of a boyfriend or girlfriend. See, we say, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as you don't make me choose you over him or her. As long as I can keep crossing sexual boundaries and doing what I want. As long as I don't have to give up time with my significant other, you can be my God. The thing that's unfortunate is Jesus is more valuable than all these things, but we tend to choose them over him. Jesus is so valuable that we should sell everything we own to buy the treasure in the field. None of these things are good enough to be our king. None of these things are worth the place on our throne. Let us not be like the rich young ruler who chooses his wealth over following Jesus. We cannot put our hope in two different places. It is either Jesus or something else. So Jesus has value, and that is why he should have the throne of our lives. Because he alone is worth the top spot. What happens when we do this, though? So we talked about one rich guy, the rich young ruler. I want to talk about one more rich guy tonight. His name is Zacchaeus. His story is told in Luke 19. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there's a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he's about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down, received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods, I give it to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. This story is very different than the story of the rich young ruler, right? This man is clearly changed by an encounter with Jesus, which leads him to getting rid of half of his wealth. Jesus doesn't actually tell him, you need to get rid of half your wealth. But this man meets Jesus and wants him on the throne of his life, so he knows, I gotta get off what's already on there. He knew his money was on the throne of his life, and just by meeting Jesus, he knew he had a clear room for him. See, both men in our stories were both extremely wealthy. It was equally hard for both men to not trust their wealth and to place their hope in God alone. However, Zacchaeus knew that Jesus is worth it. He knew that this man from Nazareth was worth giving everything for. Jesus encountered this man before he sold his stuff. Jesus loved him before he did anything for God. Jesus wanted to go to his house and have a relationship for him before he was obedient. However, when this man met Jesus, his grace was so awe-inspiring that Zacchaeus had to do something. He had to be obedient to Jesus because Jesus changed him. He had to clear his throne. Jesus is coming to us, and he wants a relationship with you. Jesus loves you before you make him king. You don't have to make Jesus your top priority for him to love you. However, if you truly love him back, you'll make him your king. Through both of these stories, what we're effectively saying is that if you want to fully receive God and have the relationship that Jesus designed for you, 
that Jesus needs to be your number one, right? He needs to be your king. In our culture, though, this can seem a little alarming. We are told to do as we please. That's about what makes us happy. Do what seems right. That we can all make our own path. That we can have many ways to connect to God. That there's many ways to get to heaven, we're told. That there are many gods, many religions. They're all pretty much the same. And we shouldn't tell someone else that they're wrong because we're all mostly right. That it shouldn't be so ironclad that there should be more ways to God or to heaven besides Jesus. Well, Jesus himself argues against this in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the only way to the Father. If Jesus is the only way to God, the only loving thing we can do is to say Jesus is the only way to God because I love you and I want you to be with God. So I'm not going to tell you that your multiple different ways work because they don't and I love you too much to lie to your face. Jesus is exclusive. Jesus does not want to be one of your gods, but your God. He wants to be your king. While in culture, this can seem too traditional, not inclusive or not loving, this actually makes a ton of sense if we think about it in a different context. Right before I started dating my wife, Taylor, who was up here earlier, I was actually talking to this other girl at my college I was going to in Minnesota. We were both interested in each other, getting ready to date, but then I came to Fall Retreat, and I met Taylor, and I liked her better. That's so bad. So right before I started dating Taylor, I want you to imagine something. Imagine I go up to Taylor and say, you know what? I love you, honey. I want you. You're my everything. Well, not my everything. See, there's this girl I met in Minnesota as well. She's kind of cute too, right? So like Taylor, how about this? You'll be my top priority. You'll be my girlfriend on Tuesday nights, Wednesday or Thursday nights, depending on when my small group leader has small group. And then Sunday mornings, Taylor, you're my girl for those three times. But the rest of the week, this other girl's got to be my top priority, right? Because she's pretty cute too. She would have dumped me so hard if I would have said that, that I would not be here today. I would have got slapped into oblivion. No, in order for me to attach myself fully to Taylor, I had to detach myself from this other girl. I couldn't have two girlfriends in order to truly date Taylor and be the boyfriend that she wanted and needed me to be. This is us with Jesus. We cannot be attached to love and be with him while also being attached to our other gods like success, substances, social media, money, entertainment, popularity, because that's not true love. True love is not Taylor looking at me and saying, you know what, I'll share you with other girls. True love is Taylor saying, I love you so much that I have to have exclusive attachment to you. I love you too much to share you. I want all of you. That's true love, right? True love is the monogamous one-to-one relationship. True love is the same way with King Jesus. He loves you too much to want to share you with the other gods on your life. He loves you too much to not be your number one. That's not mean or angry or wrong. It's called love. He loves you so much that he wants you to be devoted enough to him to put him on the throne of your life, which will require us taking everything else off the throne. We have a very practical way to do this coming up. Very practical way to put God on the throne of our lives. You heard a lot. Come to Fall Retreat. I know we can laugh, say so just trying to plug it, but I've got a reason. You coming to Fall Retreat is you practically giving God a weekend of your life and saying, God, I'll give you a shot. I want to watch you move. It's you practically putting him above working, putting him above your homework, even though you will have time to do homework. We haven't said that yet. There's free time. You can do homework. But it's you putting him above your homework, above going to a sports game, above spending time with your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's putting him above your finances that you pay money. It's putting him above even going home to see your parents. 
So you can practically put God on the throne of your life and make him number one by giving him one weekend of a whole year and going to fall retreat. Plus, it'll be really, really fun. So that's a side note. And if you can't afford it, guess what? We'll help. It's such a practical way to apply this, to make him king, to give him the rightful place in the throne of our lives, is to give him a weekend. I'm not saying you should do this for Chi Alpha. I want you to do it for you and for God because I know God's going to move. I bet the farm on it. That's why I said I'll refund you if you don't like it. We can give him the throne of our time, which is probably our most special, most special, quant- or most special thing. That's not the right word, but it's okay. I'm getting sleepy. And go to Far Tree. I promise you won't regret it. Something that I find really interesting is so with Zacchaeus, we get to learn his name, right? He's called Zacchaeus. He's not known as the rich tax collector, but he's known as Zacchaeus. With the rich young ruler, we don't learn his name. He's just rich. So what defines him is his money, his title, his earthly role, while Zacchaeus is known to us by name. When we put Jesus on the throne of our lives, he knows us by name. We automatically are given purpose. Here we are, 2,000 years later, in the middle of Iowa, talking about Zacchaeus. That's called making an impact, right? Still being talked about in 2,000 years, it'd be pretty cool. Our generation is all about leaving a legacy. We all want to be known. We want to be famous. We want to change the world. We want to leave this place better than we found it, right? It's deep in our bones that we want to make an impact. If you want to have purpose, if you want to make an impact, if you do not want to be a nameless figure who is known by your disobedience, give Jesus his rightful place in the throne of your life. Put your hope in Jesus above all else. And then watch him give you purpose. Watch him give you a calling, a calling to be his disciple, a calling to make other disciples, to love God and to love people with everything that you have. This purpose is why we do this. Taylor and I's entire lives are devoted to you guys. You are everything. You're all we talk about. You're all we spend our money and time on because you guys are the most important thing to our lives outside of Jesus. Because God gave us a calling. Because God gave us a mission. And I promise you it's worth it. We're devoted to you because I believe in every one of you. That might sound weird. Maybe we've never even had a conversation or maybe our only interaction has been a weird high five. But I see so much potential in this room. As I was praying over tonight, I just got so shaken by what God's going to do through all of you. That this generation is the generation that God is calling to change our campus. But what he's asking for is exclusive attachment to him. He's looking at you and saying, I have so much dreams for you. So much potential for your life. If you'll just put me where I belong, I will use you to move mountains and change the world. I will give you purpose beyond your wildest dreams. I see so much potential in this room to make an impact. However, living a life for ourselves in our little kingdoms will never mean much. Yes, having money is great. Having good grades is awesome. I want you to get your degree. Those are all good things. However, living for those things or living for your personal happiness or your entertainment does not help anyone except yourself. It does not make an eternal impact. No one's going to talk about you 2,000 years later and say, wow, they watched a lot of TikTok. That's so cool. They made a ton of money. They got really good grades. Yay, they got a 4.0. No one's going to talk about you. It leaves your legacy nameless. Even more important than your legacy is the world does not become better because of you living for yourself. See, people all around us, whether we like it or not, are dying and going to hell. 
People are on a one-way trajectory to spend eternity apart from God. And the only way to stop this and to change their path is for you to live on mission, for you to live with a purpose and to live about more than just yourself and to say, I'm going to die to myself and my wants so I can live to the kingdom of God and see my campus turned upside down for the name of Jesus. How do we do this? Step one is let Jesus have the rightful place in your life. And then he will give you hope to change the world. He'll give you mission. He will guide your lives. And we should do this because Jesus is worth it, right? He has value. He's the only way. There's no other God that leads to the Father in heaven. There's only one way to God, only one way to make an eternal impact, and that way is the rabbi from Nazareth known as Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way because he's the only one to make the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is the only one to bear punishment for us. We are all fallen. We've all made a lot of mistakes, and we're full of sin, so we've accrued a debt. Our wrongdoings have accrued a debt, so we shouldn't have a way to the Father in heaven. However, Jesus loved us so much that he left his throne in heaven to be a poor boy born in a stable. Jesus left his throne in heaven to die on a tree for our sins. Jesus left his throne in heaven so he could leave the tomb empty and defeat death so that we can all have hope for eternity with King Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can give you true hope and meaning because Jesus is the only one who's paid the ultimate price. Maybe you're here tonight and you have felt this hopelessness that we've talked about these past four weeks. You want purpose. You want a reason to live. You want answers. You want clarity. You want hope. You struggle with mental illness. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you make decisions that you wish you would not, and you just cannot seem to get your life on track. Jesus wants to take his rightful place in your life and make things right. He wants to be your king. Jesus does not want to be a small part of your life. Jesus does not want to be just a Tuesday night thing. He will not settle for being an afterthought. Jesus wants to be first place. He's looking at the throne of your life and saying, give it back to me. It's mine. I deserve it. And I will make your life so much better if you give it to me. Give Jesus back what's his. Maybe you're hearing something else is occupying the throne of your life. You prioritize your schooling, your money, entertainment, a relationship. And tonight Jesus is looking at you and saying, I want my throne back. Or maybe you're here and you've never followed Jesus. I know there's many of you who have been coming these last few weeks. And you don't really have a deep relationship with Jesus. You're not even sure if this God is real. We could have a debate. We can discuss the history behind it. But that's not what's actually crucial to this, I think. But what's crucial is Jesus just wants to come into your house like he did with Zacchaeus. Jesus just wants a seat at the table of your life. Jesus just wants a chance. And I promise you, give Jesus a chance to be your God. Try it for a little bit. It's going to turn your world upside down and you will never go back. Jesus wants to be your Savior. And he's calling you just to trust him. Jesus is calling you to stop seeking multiple ways to God. Multiple ways to heaven. Multiple ways to purpose or life. Because Jesus is the only way. Nothing else will work, I promise. You all stand with me. We've all been looking for hope. Hope is not just on the horizon. Hope is here and his name is Jesus. We have such an incredible opportunity this year. We can put Jesus on the throne of our lives and let him fuel us with purpose. We can love this campus. We can love people and make a difference. Our life can matter. We can stop seeking our own path, trying multiple routes to God, and we can trust that Jesus is right because he has value because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is the only one to ever defeat death. Jesus is the only victor. Everything else in life will come up short, but Jesus never fails. He always wins every single time. Jesus is our hope. We must trust him and put our hope in him. Jesus must become our king. I'm going to give us two ways to respond tonight. We do this every week at Kyle. So if you're here tonight and Jesus is nowhere near the throne of your life because you don't have a relationship with him at all, 
and you're not even sure if you believe in him, you're not sure if you have a relationship with him at all, but you want to change that tonight, and you want to try this Jesus thing, and you want to give your life to following him, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. So if everyone will close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on three, not because so someone can look around, but so that you can do an outward motion to say, Jesus, I invite you to my house. Come and be my God. So on the count of three, if you'd raise your hand to signify you want to start following Jesus, that'd be great. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. God, I pray that you will be our king. Jesus, I pray that our people in this room will just come to follow you fully, Jesus, that they'll let you be their God. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. There's a second group of you. And if you're honest in reflection, if you think Jesus might be in your life, but he's not on your throne, that there's something else that's on your throne, and you want to change it tonight, and you want to clean off your throne to make room for Jesus, I want to challenge you to lift both your hands right now. You can lift them up high. You can lift them low. It does not matter. This is an opportunity for you to say, Jesus, I'm cleaning my throne for you. I want to make room for you. If you want Jesus to be your king, I challenge you to worship God in this moment. And just as we sing this next song, just say, Jesus, be my king. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. I thank you for tonight. And I thank you that you can be our God. Amen. Amen. If God